what I realized is he actually started his first brand at Walmart when he was 43. And I thought, well, good Lord, if he can do that when he was 43, I can certainly start in my 30s. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun episode of Flip My Phone Podcast. I'm joined here with Brian Miles. Brian is the CEO of Ballet, and uh, it's funny thing that I got introduced to Ballet as a company by two incredible podcasts. Uh, one was Andy Stanley's podcast. I talk about it all the time. It's really good. And then literally a few weeks later, I heard about uh, Brian again on another favorite episode on, on Donald Miller's show. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. This can't be true. So I went and checked out. And this has never happened before. So this is the first time I looked up a, a software or whatever that is. And I'm like, no, this is actually an incredible service. And quite frankly, it has changed my life. And I'll, I'll share a couple of things about why it has changed my life. I've been using their services for uh, for last year or so. Again, I'm not making any money on this thing. That's not what this is about. I just thought this is such a phenomenal thing that I wanted to introduce you to all the leaders who listen to this podcast. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Sangram, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm stoked to be here, and I'm, I can't wait to learn more about you and your experience, too. I'm stoked. Yeah, and, and just so everybody knows, we haven't talked about my experience. I'm about to go through all the issues I've had with this. This is literally the first time we've talked face to virtual or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So the thing I learned about Belay was, the, you know, all the services that it offers, especially for me, it was like an extension to my life, mm-hmm. the way I would put it, because it really took away all the things that are not important for me in terms of just doing it. It's not going to do the best of me, but they're super important to get done. And, and when I try to do it, I'm not the best at it. It takes a lot of energy, time, all that stuff. So, so the services you guys provide is, is incredible. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. But first, Brian, let's start with a fun fact. Well, let's see. I've stood on top of Mount Rainier, the Grand Teton, and Mount Whitney, some pretty iconic mountains in our country. Yeah. I'm a mountain climber and kind of that's why I like the name Belay so much. I'd yeah. say that's a pretty good fun fact. Yeah, man, that's pretty cool. We have some some folks on the episode who have been on like around the world and finding the tallest peaks and every year yeah. they have that as their checklist. And I'm like, man, I just would go around and walk around, you know, the Johns Creek area and I feel right. all right about myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I'll, uh, I don't think I have it in me to do the really the high peaks of the world. Plus I'm 44 and, you know, every time I get off of one of those mountains, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and uh and the last mountain i summited was mount rainier and it was a, a butt kicker so you know I, i'm still in that you know drunk in the honeymoon phase of I've gone through it and there's no way i'm going it again yeah no man i love that well all right so you have written the book called virtual culture and one of the things you write about that in the book which i feel is fascinating and it's it's something that i think everybody should pause and really listen to this part and you said an office culture, or an office doesn't make a culture, only shared vision does. So I want to kind of love for you to share what that means and then also sure. share a bit about Belay. Sure. So the, part of the reason why we, I wrote that book was back in 2017, which you know, sounds like so long ago. 
Entrepreneur Magazine basically gave us the top spot as heavyweight champion for company culture, the award for that. And we were number one out of 50 companies listed. And most people didn't realize, except for a handful, that we were the only one on that list of 50 that were all virtual. So we don't have an office. There's really, we have no physical office. And a lot of the reason for that is, you know, we sell virtual services. So I feel like as a company, we need to eat our own dog food. Yeah. And, you know, really be all virtual and be all in on it. And, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose of our people when they're selling or, you know, trying to encourage or coach someone of our clients, you know, that on these virtual things, if we're not doing it ourselves. So we worked really hard to create a meaningful virtual culture. And what I realized, a lot of people, you know, like, oh, you don't have an office. So that means you're not a legitimate company. And I'm like, no, we're a great company, you know, making great profit. We're growing in revenue every year. You know, we're, we're doing the things that we should as a company. And I just got to this place where I realized, and people will realize this over time, and I've seen this happening with leaders and hiring managers all over the country, that an office isn't actually, other than just a place where people come to work, culture has nothing to do with that. Culture is basically shared vision. You know, going after something collectively as a whole, whether that's in your basement or in your cubicle at work, you can have that, you know, on your back deck as much as you can in some boardroom in some company and somewhere in our, you know, in this country. Yeah, I love that. How how many? So you started Belay like eight years ago, right? That's right. In 2010, my wife and I we left our jobs to start this company. We resigned on the same day. Yeah, we, we cashed in our 401ks, <laughs> uh, which was about 160 thousand dollars. Yeah, we all in. We used it as a startup for capital. We didn't go to a, a bank or friends, or we just used our own money. We broke even in 14 months. Wow. And uh, we've scaled the business today. We're right now, we're about 720 people on our team, which means that 65 of those right now are our corporate team, which is our full-time W2 salaried folks that kind of act as our headquarters, mm-hmm. you know, salespeople, marketing people, me, my wife, HR, you know, the, the guts of the business. And then the, the rest of our team are contractors, which are our virtual assistants, our bookkeepers and our webmasters. And they're based all over the U.S. Right. So how did you get the idea of doing it? Because that's a pretty bold. As an entrepreneur myself, I remember I went into starting Terminus with my co-founders when we had our second kid. Yeah. And our second kid was like literally one month old, my daughter, and my wife wasn't working at that time. So I, I, was, and I was working at Salesforce. So yeah. the conversation really was, all right, I, I really want to do this thing. I feel like this has legs, even though you don't, nobody sees it. It's, yeah. it's that doesn't exist, but it's going to be amazing. Yeah. But I need you to go to work again because we can't really afford living in Just Creek and family stuff. So she had to go get work in six weeks after having the first, the second baby while I'm one start. So I, I can totally empathize with your thing, your thing. But there was a feeling in my gut like, I have to do this because if I don't do this, it's not the money. It was the problem that I wanted to solve more yeah. so than I'm wondering what was your push for taking such a giant leap where you literally, you and your wife both went into it, which is yeah. amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'll just, there's a couple things. First in 2010, I was working on a job where I was on six to eight flights a week mm-hmm. and I was worn out and I was making somebody else wealth and in their family wealth. And, and I was really doing a really great job. I actually really love that job. Mm. But it was killing me. My kids were two and five. My wife was working for McKesson, which is a very large Fortune 10 company. And she was, you know, her next move career-wise was going to be a lateral move. Yeah. So, so for us, it was, it's kind of like this natural season of pause to say, okay, we're in our mid-30s. You know, there's something in us. And then I read a book about Sam Walton called Made in America, which is a really awesome read. And 
you know, the, the gist of the book, I mean, it's, it's a really great story of how he started Walmart. But what I realized is he actually started his first branded Walmart when he was 43. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, good Lord, if he can, if he can do that when he was 43, I can certainly start in my thirties. I'm now, you know, come to believe you can start a company at any age, but right. For me, I just I gave me the wind and the sails to, to do something. So I, I have, you know, good friends that are wise in business, widely successful. And we sat down with them and I said, you know, the four hour work week came out about a year before we got started. I have a virtual assistant. We just don't call her that. She's in Charlotte. I've been working with her for seven years. Yeah. And I know how to work remote already because I'm a sales guy and it was a sales guy and I lead a group of salespeople. And I thought, why can't, why can't we do this? Like yeah. it seems like leaders need this type of thing, a really great extension of who they are as a leader, a great assistant that you can really trust, a high caliber person. There gotta be more of them out there like that. And so my wife and I, after a lot of due diligence said, yeah, let's go do this. And, and we just, you know, and, and mind you at the time, unemployment was 9.6% during the great recession. Yeah. And my friends and family all thought we were nuts, <laughs> but the ones that were widely successful in business thought was the perfect time to do it, to enter the space at that time. And I'm so glad we did. We hit it at the right time where everybody was, uh, it was way more acceptable to outsource. They didn't call it virtual services because no one knew what that was, you know, but outsourcing made sense. They didn't want to add to their payroll. Right. Uh, so we just, you know, we hit it at the right time and we, you know, we grew it. And by about the third year, we hit an inflection point where kind of our corporate team, everybody kind of had a role versus, Everybody had to wear six different hats. We kind of you know, had the funding and enough money to, you know, from yeah. our profits to reinvest in the business so that we could, you know, give, hey, you do this one thing really well. And, and we grew it and grew it. And, you know, and here we are today, eight years later, and um, serving thousands of customers all over the U.S. Yeah. I mean, as I said, like for me, so shout out to Amy. Amy is my virtual Amy. assistant. She's phenomenal. I feel like she, she's, she's the one who actually comes up with ideas a lot of times now yeah. that we have worked for a year or so, I feel, I didn't realize the benefit of that, but like in the early point, I'm like, okay, do this, do that. And now she's like, Hey, what about this? What about that? Hey, we have all this information now. What about this? So, so she's actually not taking and coming up with projects that makes like perfect sense to me. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I'm not even thinking about it. And she's already ahead of things. And, and that's insane, right? That that's a big benefit. Yeah. You know, one of the things when people ask me, like, what are you looking for in a virtual assistant? There's so many things, but I'll tell you one of the king of king things that we're looking for in, in a virtual assistant is their ability to anticipate needs mm. and to be ahead of their leader, to get out ahead of that leader because that leader is giving them permission to get out ahead of them. And see the best clients, you know, on the opposite side of that, when we say like, well, what's, what's the best clients look like? Yeah. It's the ones that actually don't see them as an assistant. They actually see them as an extension of who they are. Right. And they grease the tracks for everybody in their way saying, listen, if, if Amy is calling, it's as if I'm calling. Right. If Amy's asking for this, just pretend it's me asking for this. Mm-hmm. And so you do that, you become four or five times more productive as a leader because yeah. the leader gets it that this is an extension of who they are. It's not just some secretary that's getting your coffee. Right. Like it, it is, it is so much more than that to me. And uh, like Amy does, we, we're not in the same office. I'm in Atlanta. Yeah. She's in New York. Met at an event like uh, recently. So it was awesome to meet her in person uh, finally as well. But like we, we talk and text like all the time. And a lot of times it will be like the really important thing. I'll just text her and she would be all over it. And I'm off to the races doing something else and something else gets done. So it, oh, it, it, it. it's a phenomenal productive feeling. Yeah. It's funny. You know, once you know, people say, well, what's it like to have a virtual assistant? I, I say it's that, it's that time where 
you, you, you know, you've been flying commercially and you're, you've always been a coach. And then one time you get bumped to first class <laughs> and you sit up there and you go, Oh, I'm ruined. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing when you've got a great assistant, it's no yeah. different. Like you're ruined because you know now what is possible with a great virtual assistant. And, and, and that's what we hope to do with our clients is ruin them for life. Great, <laughs> ruin them for life. You definitely did that for me. <laughs> so let, let's talk about culture again, because I, I feel like that is such a mega point of all of these things. Is you know, you know, we're we're a startup company. We uh, went from three co-founders to about two hundred people in the last four years in Atlanta and San Francisco, and we continue to grow. We have raised money, almost the opposite of like everything that you're talking about. <laughs> you and I are talking about here, and 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 quite frankly, we. A lot of times are thinking about like, you know what, we need more people in the office yeah. and that's more energy and, and all, all that stuff. And there's some truth to that, right? When yeah. everybody together and stuff. Do you, so for people who have, who are thinking about building companies or have virtual companies out there, how do you, do you, do you think of bringing people together once a year or something? Is that a need? Is that something that, that you try to do? Uh, one oh, of the sure. also tried to do was like, everybody has to be on video if you're remote so you can get to know each other more so than just on phone calls. What are the things that people should think about? Sure. Well, first off, yes, our corporate team of our 65 folks, first off, most of them are in Metro Atlanta and yeah. that's on purpose by design. So that if I have to circle the wagons really quick, everybody just jumps in the car. I'm not yeah. paying for flights and hotels and meals and all that stuff. Yeah. And we do have a few people because of the role, they're not in Atlanta yeah. and that's fine. But so yeah, we, we get together, we have, we we agree corporately so that all of us get together quarterly. January, we do what we call our big summit. And that's, mm -hmm. we, we look back, we look forward, we cast vision, we, we yeah. bring in guest speakers, we have open bars, we throw parties, we collaborate. It's a killer time. Yeah. And then we do one days throughout the rest of the year. So where everybody's just together basically from about eight to five in some hotel in Atlanta or some meeting center. And they, we do that. But then our teams are always getting together face to face for one thing or another, like maybe marketing's collaborating on a new idea or sales yeah. team to get together to project numbers or the, 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 our CSEs, which is kind of our account management layer. Mm. You know, when they get together, they're, they're talking through, you know, clients or brainstorming ideas on how to work on churn in our business or whatever those things are. Right. So we do get together face to face. For example, I just came from a meeting in Alpharetta where my wife and I hosted our new employees for lunch. You know, so we, we, we find reasons to get together, but most of it's done via Zoom otherwise. And, and it's just Zoom for us is like popping by your cubicle. You know, <laughs> I, we've like almost stopped phone calling our team. We just send links, say, hey, do you have a couple minutes? Yeah. You know, and we just, we just do it that way and it works. And you know, we've got a couple of rules for like meetings and stuff like that I think are really important as it relates to communication. The first is on a team meeting. We're not allowed to be on mute and we have to be on video. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it, you could never in your life go into a meeting in some other company and go on site and go, Hey guys, let's get together and have a meeting and then mute yourself and hide yourself. <laughs> that, for some reason that's okay on a, on a web zoom call, right? It is crazy. It's almost like saying, okay, let's, let's everybody come together in this room and you know, and then you see people actually on their phone multitasking while somebody's sharing and, and we are completely okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not okay to half-ass a meeting, you know, yeah. like you've got to be in it and present. And that's what we want out of our, our folks is to be present. And so taking yourself off mute and then being present on video is a must inside our organization. And the caliber of conversation is just much more rich. We've also created some conflict norms for how we work together as a team. And we've taught these and trained these throughout. But, yeah. you know, you're finding that like people really want to work here in our company because we've created a meaningful culture. And they also know why we're doing what we're doing. 
And yeah. I, I promise you, not a lot of employees and a lot of other organizations know what they're doing, like their ultimate why. Yeah. So their heart's not connected to what they're doing every day. And for me, I want to work in a place where people have meaning and their heart's connected to what they do every day. And they feel like they're trusted as an adult to produce the result that's expected. Yeah, I love that. Last week, I spoke at LeaderCast, uh, which is also yeah. Atlanta, their web series around commitment. And we talk about commitment, creating movement. And, and that was one of the things that, uh, that I shared was like, and I would do that on stage speaking at it is like, here's hundred bucks I'll give to people if they know their mission statement. Like, what is your mission statement? What's your, what's your vision? Why work? And in fact, literally seven, 800 people and some people go, I think I know, but I'm not sure if it's, it has changed last, since last year. I'm like, well, no, 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 that's not mission. That's not your vision then. You know, your why should never just arbitrarily change every year, you know? Yeah work that way. So you are so right about the fact that you have to connect the why and the emotions and the meaning of it. Uh, otherwise, you just, you know, people are going to leave, you're going to have all these other challenges of retention, then sure. become hard, you, you know, people are going to point fingers, all those things start happening. Uh, and when things are good, you don't see any of those things happening. Yeah. And people feel that's great culture, but that's not true. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny, like I, the big word these days, it seems like if you're hanging around anybody like that's wanting to grow companies, like how do we scale this? You know, and <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta scale, gotta scale, gotta scale. And I'm like, yeah, we do, but to what end? Yeah. You know, and so we've been talking lately less about scale and more about our client's journey mm. and what's important there. And what we found is if you look after the client journey, you should be appropriately able to scale as well. Okay. And and because and, it forces you to ask questions about how that never gets lost in terms of your ability to scale an organization. And, and scale for us is really wrapped up in stories, like how successful we are in serving you. Yeah. So what we do is we extract stories all the time and we're always sharing those internally in our team to remind people why we're here. Yeah. And more importantly, the Amy's of the world, our virtual assistants, our bookkeepers, our webmasters, they're also our client. Yeah. If we don't serve them well, they don't serve our clients well. So oh. we've, we've worked so hard to create an organization where we're really the client and the contractor, they're the hero for everything that we're doing. Yep. And we want their journey to be amazing. And if we look after that and we steward that really well, scale will take care of, it, take care of itself. I love that. I love that. We are like, we are so yoked on this, this topic as well, because that one of the things that I strongly believe, you know, we, we, there's a whole talk around or thought around this idea of customer obsession. Yeah. Right. And I was reading of all things. And I did that on the, uh, in the recent podcast, I went back and read Jeff Bezos letters from 1997 to 2017. It's <laughs> if you haven't done that, it's one of the I best. Haven't. Two pages, it, it clearly is, he is writing it. He's not having a PR person write yeah. it, writing it. Two, three pages. And in the first letter to the shareholders in 1997, he talked about customer obsession. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. Like that guy had that vision embedded in yeah. 1997 when they literally were three years into starting the company and he had that into it. So clearly we see why Amazon is so good at customer yeah. experience and things like that. But what was also very clear in all those shareholder letters that I took away was the idea that his whole point was, if I'm not going to treat my employees right, they're never going to treat my the, the customers right. Because most people don't spend time with the customers or most leaders don't spend time with the customers. You spend 90% of your time with your direct reports and, and right. trying to get them to go. So, so if you're not treating them right or good, they're not going to treat your customers great. 
right? Yeah. It's a really bad extension. If you want to treat them great, if you want the customers to be treated, you have to treat your employees at least good, if not great, because it just compounds over there. So yeah, you've got to really find a way to get in front of your customer. I mean, I, I'm always asking my senior leaders in my business, like, when's the last time you talked to one of our customers? Yeah. You know, I know plenty of our teammates are talking to our customers all the time, but it's important that we hear directly from them as well because they're, they're data points for how the journey's going. I, we had the opportunity yesterday. It was a really cool experience. My wife and I got to have lunch with Dave Ramsey up in Nashville. Oh, cool. And what was fascinating, this guy has grown his organization at rapid speed. When we started interacting with them about eight years ago or so, they were probably around 300 employees. Mm. Now they're close to 800 employees full time. And he, now he's the opposite. Like he wants everybody in the office, office hours, all that stuff. Right. So like, you know, sometimes he'd look at me with like a, I have an eye on my forehead type of thing. But, but the cool thing, what I learned is his obsession about the customer. And I'm like, this is fascinating. He said to me, he said, he said, we all came to realize that myself, Dave, me and him on his radio show interacts with their customers on the radio show every single day. Every day, yeah, like literally live. Yeah, and he said, what other CEO do you know interacts with the customers as much as him? And I thought, that is brilliant. So when he's sitting in a meeting and they're actually talking about customer needs and customer experience and so forth, he actually has firsthand experience. Yes. And I'm just so impressed by that. I mean, there's so many things I'm impressed by that guy, but that was like, yes, that's exactly what I want. So I'm, I'm even trying to figure out ways to, you know, in my own meaningful way, have connection more with our customers too. Yeah. So I'll give you something that we have started to do in our organization because I had a really big, almost guilt to a point, almost fake feeling of it, right? Because as you scale the company, you know, fast enough scale, The company fast enough. You you get to a point where you knew everybody's name and now you don't know everybody's name in the company. You go to a point where you knew your customer names and now you don't know the biggest customers that you have all of a sudden and now everything is on a PowerPoint and a presentation and a number and you're like disconnected. So I personally went through that phase. So in October, November of last year, we made a conscious decision. I said, you know what? I'm going to start figuring out a way to bring a customer in the office every six to eight weeks. Yeah. So since December of last year, we had a customer come to the office. So we have like six customers come to the office. And part of that was having them do a couple of hours of product session where we would talk about the product and where the roadmap, they get their input. So they shape the product roadmap and we share our input on where we think the industry is going, have dinner with a closed group so that we get to know them and the high yeah. folks in our company get to really spend time with the customer who they are developing code for or doing all the services and, and things like they get to know them. Then we'll do an all hands, we'll literally put them in front of the entire company and we'll do, I'll literally do a Q&A with them and have the company ask them questions. And one of the ones, Daniel Day from Snowflake, our customer, shout out to him. He said, you guys have changed my life. Huh. And you, you take that for a second. It's like, wait a minute, we're a software company. We, we yeah. don't like save lives, right? Like, no, no, because of you guys, I don't have to look for a job again because I know so much about what I do. I can walk into my CEO's office any day and tell them here's how the programs are working yeah. and, and drive the business forward. So to the SDR, the salesperson who's picking up the phone and calling, he or she is fired up to do that. Right. Gave them meaning. So, so something that I've started to really take seriously because as a result of that, there are case studies, there are conversations, the entire company's lit for weeks after that. So I'm, I've just started, it's not as cool and amazing as Dave Ramsey doing it every single day, <laughs> but having them in flesh, in person, where people can actually talk to them 
uh, has changed a lot of people's perspective of why we're doing what we're doing. Well, let me add a little bit to that. So you can take that same experience and you can do that online. You yes. can post the video, you can do that stuff, you know, right in Zoom, you can post it on your private company portal, whatever, you know, however you communicate with your team, you can email it to your team and say, watch this video. You know, it's, you know, there, there's just a lot of organizations where they're across the globe, you know, yeah. and they're working together and they're, they're pushing in one direction. Well, little videos like that that remind people why they're here. Yeah. It just is so important. I can't, you know, I can't emphasize that enough in terms of building a meaningful company culture. I love that. I think you just gave me an idea that I'm going to reach out to Amy for because she will have all these videos. Sorry, like, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like she can just create the snippets of these videos because it's a one hour video. And so that like, just take those five yeah. snippets of two minute like interactions with them that we can use for internal. Like here's the reason why, why did they like us, what they want us to do. So that's yeah. right. Awesome. That's awesome. I mean, so I'm, I took a whole bunch of road, actually like so many notes, like some are important <laughs> notes I put it up here that I want to follow up on. The, there are a few things that I want to really highlight for people to remember. And then I'd love for you to share a, a challenge for every single leader who's listening to the podcast right now. So sure. number one, I picked up on this, this idea that I don't want anybody to lose at all, which is that culture is not in the office, in the cubicle. It's really the shared vision that you have for your organization. And if your team doesn't know or doesn't feel it, I think we've already lost it. So, right. so I feel like that is a, such a big takeaway for me uh, as, and hopefully for every single leader listening to this. You mentioned about this book. I'm going to go take a look at this Made in America book by Sam Walton. And you talked about the fact that he started his company at 43 years. And it is such a big thing. I recently wrote about this is it's actually the, the fallacy out there is that if I'm in my 20s, I can hustle my way and, and yeah. do all these things. And the reality is I started co-founder Terminus uh, with Eric and Eric when I was 36 with second kid and, you know, yeah. wife came in. and I feel like I had the experience to learn and know a lot of things. We had understanding of management of certain stuff. I felt like I was more prepared to start something than I probably would have been in 20s trying yeah. to do it. So I, in some ways I felt like it was the right time. Yeah. So, so I, I would have screwed this up if I started this in my twenties Yeah. And for a couple of reasons. One, I wouldn't have had the experience to handle, you know, leadership like I've had to experience because I've led people before we started the company. And the other thing too is with our success, I would have screwed that up too. Yeah. yeah. You know, now I'm, I'm just a much better steward of the success that's come our way as a result of this company. That is so good. So anybody who's thinking of starting something or doing something great or starting a new project, a new hobby, don't let age be the reason you don't That's do right. it. It actually might be an asset for, for you. And then if you have a virtual assistant, I think this is, this is really key. And I think Amy does this phenomenally is that the, the way you look at if it's working for you is if, if the person that you're working with have the ability to anticipate your needs. So I think that was a really cool thing because I, I truly feel Amy does that. And in many ways, that's true even for your full-time people. If, you, okay. if you're leaders in your organization, and if you can anticipate the needs of your customer, if you can anticipate the needs of your employees, if you can anticipate the needs of your boss, I think then you're really gelling and, and making things happen. So, and if you have a truly amazing virtual assistant like I do, it'll be an extension of your life. And that's I right. really believe that. So with some of those, and there are more that I'll add in the show notes later, but Brian, uh, what is the one challenge you want to share with all leaders? Yeah, sure. So, 
Yeah, we, we fortunately have a wonderful opportunity to come alongside all sorts of leaders of all sizes and backgrounds and experiences. You know, we work with for-profits, nonprofits, big companies, startups, you know, and everything in between, you know, across 30, uh, I think 32 verticals now. So we've, we, we've had the opportunity to see leaders up close and personal with our business. So what I would tell you is this, and I, it really is a challenge to your audience as well. We meet a lot of leaders that actually do not know how to delegate. They, mm-hmm. in fact, they suck at it. And part of the reason why is because they think they they believe this falsehood and the falsehood is that having an assistant is a luxury. Mm. It's actually not when you're leading anything great or of size takes more than one person to pull off. And the more that you can have somebody that comes alongside you and is a work alongside partner and serves as an extension of who you are, that's less of a luxury and more of a necessity for growth and for productivity sake. So I'd, I'd say that that's, that's one biggie. And when you finally find a great person, one of the easiest things you can do to start to delegate the right way is to delegate a result, not the task. Mm. Because see, we hire adults and adults want meaning and adults want to be trusted. And so when you hire an adult, what you say is, hey, here's the result I need from you. I'll help you. I'll resource you. I'll equip you. I'll come alongside you. But this is the result. Now help me get there. And yeah. it's on you to help me do that. Versus here's the 75 things I know to do. And one day you might get the result. That is so underwhelming to somebody that really wants to join your organization and serve in this capacity. Whether you hire a company like ours or you bring someone else, you know, internally or whatever. But it's delegating the result, not the task, is the the difference maker in how you empower an assistant to do a really great job for you. And oftentimes, frankly, the word assistant is a disservice to the role these people actually perform. We have people with amazing backgrounds and experience that serve as assistants in our organization. We target college educated stay-at-home moms and dads with past business and professional experience. Yeah. We also target this group of people too. It's, it's kids of aging parents where they have to be around their mom and dad because they're ailing and they mm-hmm. need help. And so these people in their 50s and 60s, highly qualified to be doing anything, but they have to be near their mom and dad and work from home. Yeah. And that's the type of caliber of person that we have that could, could do the work. So yes, you can give these people results. To, yeah. to get after and to do for you. Yes, you can say, hey, here's the why, here's what I need from you, here's the result. And then guess what, when you're not around, they know the how to fill in the blank because they know the end result that's expected. Yeah. And as so many leaders, we see this happen, they just don't know how to delegate. They think that they gotta spoon feed them all the tasks. And it's like, no, that's not leadership. That's not delegating really well. Yeah. And so I, I, my call or my challenge, I guess, to leaders is, is how do you see delegation? Do you see it as a stewardship issue where you have the opportunity to really steward how people work? Or do you just see them as people that are just getting tasks done for you? I love that. Actually, I took more notes on that specific point. <laughs> you are so right. I love the idea of what it means to delegate results over task. That is beautiful. That is really, really powerful. So Again, Brian, thank you so much for hopping on the show and oh. uh, sharing so much wisdom and also sharing and find, helping me find Amy to, to help me with what I do. So thank you for that. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm so thrilled that we get the opportunity to serve you too. That's awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.